Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, the Agile Pubcast. Happy birthday to us. Yes, we are three years old this episode. Amazingly, three years ago. We couldn't believe it. Anyway, this episode was a little bit special, a little bit different. We had another live audience and we were in Cheltenham to launch a brand new meetup group, the Magic Group, the most agile group in Cheltenham. Yes, we had a live audience of people who submitted their questions. We didn't know what they were going to be. They ranged, well, they were quite a wide range of questions, really, but included things like, what do we think of the future of Agile? Is a product team good practice or bad practice? What do we think of firebreak sprints and fallow sprints? Lots of questions like that. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you want us to come to your meetup group, then let us know. We quite enjoy these kinds of things. So on with the show. Good, good evening. Very quiet pub, this isn't it? It is a very quiet pub. Very we, are, quiet. we are actually in a pub, though. Yeah, no background well. noise. I've heard of people complain about background noise in the past. They can't complain about that today. <laughs> Deathly silent. Yeah. We're the only people here. Oh, someone's coming in. Oh, hello. Yeah, we are. We, we have an audience today. Yeah, it's this special audience. Kind of live-ish. Kind of live-ish. Well, we're live. We're alive. And our audience is live. But this is recorded. Uh, we're in Cheltenham. My hometown, <coughs> the Queen's favourite town, and we're at the Bottle of Sauce, which used to be my my football local. Did it? Yeah. Well, I used to play for a team in Cheltenham. This is where we used to come. And it wasn't called the Bottle of Sauce then. It was called the St George's St James's Hotel. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so this is where we used to come after the game and have our chip butties and our. Who you know, work out who got man of the match okay. and who had to down the dirty pint and all that stuff. Oh, so yeah, it's got good memories. So Jess, Jess from Cheltenham. Anyone here else who lives in Cheltenham? Give me a cheer. Hey. Oh, there you go. See some locals. Locals. Oh, locals. Cheers, uh, mate. Cheers, mate. Been a while. There we go. So uh, what have you got in your glass tonight? This one is is a local. Well, it's, it's so this this pub is now owned by a company called the Dodo something company, beer company or something, and this is one of their own. So it's a Dodo Craft Ale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go on, give us, give us the, your review. Average. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Say that a bit louder, the manager might hear you from there. <laughs> um, slightly metallic, slightly Ooh. floral, Ooh. slightly citrusy. <laughs> uh, I could probably drink three of those before I'd want to switch. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's all right. It's a very honest review. It's good. I'm honest. Mm. What were you drinking? Um, what's the, oh, that's a, I never, never bought it. John bought me this. What's, the, what's this called? Yellow Hammer. Yellow Hammer. Yellow Hammer. And it's just from the name, it sounds like an aggressive cider, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it's going to kill me. Um, but this is, um, if I was to describe it, um, I can't see through it, which is always you, dangerous. You don't like that, do you? <laughs> that always scares me to see a pint that I can't see through. Um, and there's, there's no fizz. It's like it's like a warm apple juice. <laughs> the taste of apples. It's very appley, which is yeah. all, again always a bad thing. If it tastes like apple juice, oh, no, it's generally bad for taste me. Of apples, I, think. I know, but, but this is quite actually. Weirdly enough, it's actually quite nice. I'm quite enjoying it. Um, probably because it's in- incredibly sweet, um, and it suits my taste buds. Mm. So thank you for that. Thank you, John, for buying me a drink. Cheers, John. Yeah, we're at the inaugural event. Oh, easy for you to say. Inaugural. I'm just <laughs> turning into Nigel Baker for a minute. <laughs> See, there's a classic edit point for our audience, because uh, otherwise Nigel will sue us. But um, yeah, we're at the inaugural event of the Magic Group. There we are, we've just named it. Yeah, can't change it now. That's it. The most agile group in Cheltenham. There you go. Mm-hmm. New meetup group, uh, and we are very proud to be here. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, yeah, so um, we're recording it, so we've got an audience, so we might as well make use of them. Yeah, we have, and we've got... And serve them, I suppose. We've got, uh, we've even prepped, well, we haven't prepped, um, the people that, that were here before us prepped, um, and John and Andy, thank you for that, you've organised some questions, and the audience have been rambling, 
written down some questions. So I'm, I'm going to do this in true random fashion. I'm just going to put the face down. I can't, yeah. can't see the cards. You're, you're a bit of a manipulator, though. You like to do a bit of magic in your spare time, I'll, don't you? I'll shuffle them under the table. And you're going to pick one. Read it it's out. It's going to be the seven of hearts. Don't pick the pink one. Um, don't pick the pink one. <laughs> <laughs> and then read it out. And we might ask the, whoever wrote it down to clarify what they, what they meant by it. But, uh, okay. If you could give a brand new scrum team one piece of advice, what would it be? Better, much better, stronger. Yeah. Good. Thank Whose you. question was this? Andy. Andy. It's fairly self-explanatory. Is it? it is really. But, but, what, but why, why did you ask that question? What would your advice be? <laughs> That's what we do. So wow, turn, thanks. Turn it around uh, on you. Um, I honestly don't know. No. Uh, there's so many different things that I'd, I'd want to tell them, but I don't think I can narrow it down to one. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Jeff is now in coaching mode. Everyone, just to, just to. Thanks, Jeff. Um, what's the, the best piece of advice that I've been given? Mm. Um, you don't have to be liked, but you need to be respected. Cool. Who gave you that advice? Some asshole. Yeah, someone on a podcast somewhere, I think. <laughs> I know that asshole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Paul, what, what advice would you give? Um... It'd be something, I'm, I don't know if I can string a decent sentence together now, something profound enough, but it'd be something around around accepting that we all make mistakes, something around ownership and, and going with mistakes and making decisions, knowing that it, you might not have all the information. Mm-hmm. Learning through, dare I say it, failure. Mm. It'd be something around that. Okay. And that, and that teamwork isn't a given just by sitting together requires effort okay that would be something along the lines I'd say I'm not sure whether this qualifies as advice what I'm about to say to me advice is like you should do this or you shouldn't do that but anyway I would say I've never in my coming up for 20 years never and I very rarely use that word no never seen a completely successful sprint and I've never seen a completely failed sprint. Mm. So you'll never get it perfect, but you'll never completely screw it up. Is that advice? Would that count That's as profound. advice? I like yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Cool. Next. That was, so that's that one. Let's put some of these back in from before. I've mixed them up. Yeah, I'm going to shuffle again. And I'll pick the next one. Right, well, well Paul's top. shuffling. Is there anybody else who's got any better advice? Anybody given any, been given any amazing advice? Do the right thing. Do the right thing. That's a song, isn't it? Is it? Probably. Should oh, be. Do the right thing. I've had half a pint now. So <laughs> <laughs> Agile karaoke. Oh, don't get me started. Do the right thing. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Next question. Where do you see the future of Agile going? Who's, whose question was this? Uh, okay. Any reason why you asked that question? Uh, I asked that question because I was trying to think of a good question. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm interested in your views on... And, and when I use the word agile, I mean, I'm thinking more more broadly than sort of like agile manifesto, agile software yeah, development, yeah. but the whole kind of arena of delivering iteratively better working practice all those kind of things do you mean do, do we think it will change in its current guise do you think do, in terms do, do you mean how long is it here to stay how, how do you mean well either of those things okay. could be do you think it's going to change do you think okay. it's, it's here to stay do you think that it's going to be called something different in a few years time we used to joke didn't we when we were at bt that Was we a joke <laughs> we used to say well <clears throat> this might be around for a few years four or five years this was in 2003 and if, if, if you know, we'll just do something else. But we're still doing it, mm. amazingly. So I think, I think if it was going to stop, it would have stopped by now. Um, but I think it probably will morph. I think it probably will change. Maybe not in its, in its, uh, its values, but certainly maybe in its um, applications. I'm hoping we'll see, we'll learn more from, even if it's not called Agile, but just doing things in different ways from other parts of other organizations, industries, people, whatever that might be. I'm just hoping that even if it's just opened opportunities to looking at things from a different perspective, 
I'd still put that under a, under that banner of new ways of thinking. So the question was different to what? Di- was it? Would it always be different? The thing is, I know the future. So <laughs> you've got a crystal ball. Yeah, I know the future, um, and it's not agile. It's resilient, and it's con- it's context. So when when anything changes, you get a pendulum effect. So we had extreme waterfall, and people realised mm, it's probably not appropriate anymore. Oh, Agile's pretty cool. <laughs> Trying to do too much Agile. For the benefit of our listeners, that was me swooshing my hand from one side of the clock Visual as effects. a pendulum Visual. to the other. Great stuff for podcasts. That yeah. is great stuff. Um, and people trying to, apl- to do Scrum just be, not always, but just because that's what we should be doing because that's what everyone else is doing. Just doing it without thinking. And some of the time it's brilliant. Some of the time that is exactly what they should be doing. But some of the time they shouldn't. Some of the time Kanban's more appropriate. Some of the time Waterfall's more appropriate. <gasps> you said it. I did. I recorded it as well. Yeah. Um, I think what's happening now, and this is where I'm doing a lot of my work, is helping organisations tell the difference. Tell the difference about what context they're in and what approach is relevant. So if you apply, if you apply a, um, an, an approach like Scrum in the wrong context, you'll be very wasteful. But if you apply a waterfall approach in the wrong context, it will be very wasteful. Just a different kind of waste. So will, the, will there still be a lot of Scrum, will there still be a lot of Agile in the future? Yes, because things are still very complex and they're probably not going to get simpler until we have some kind of global catastrophe. Right. But, it's going to be getting deep. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, uh, anyway, yeah, so there will be a lot of Agile, <laughs> but there will probably be slightly less because people realise that actually the context isn't appropriate for it and that's okay because at the moment the pressure is on places to label something agile yeah I'm kind of hoping that we hear the word less I think I I view that as success that we it becomes less of a comparison it becomes less of a terminology thing trying to get people to understand it but I'd like to think it's just an acceptable way to do work Common sense. So more. Well, I, I always tell. The, I always tell the story. I, I often. I you have, I have often the told the story <laughs> of um, Craig Larman telling the story yeah. of the medical profession hundreds of years ago, where doctors knew for a fact, for a fact, that if you were ill, the cure was leeches. It wasn't. It wasn't a guess. They knew that. That was medical fact at the time. And it only, it only changed, not when people realised that there were penicillin and antibiotics and drugs and things, but when all those old people died. <laughs> because even in the face of counter-evidence and proof, people still held to their beliefs. Ah, oh, this new fad of medicine will go, I've seen it all before, until they died. And I think it's going to take for a lot of us to die, to... For the new wave, I'm getting really That's a bit more. But bear with me, all right? Because my kids, dark. If I if I talk to my kids about Scrum, if I talk to my kids about Agile, to them, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. To them, it's normal. Whereas we've been taught something else and have to unlearn it. Well, even if you teach graduates these days in, in courses that we run, you're pushing against an open door there's no there's no legacy there's no baggage that you have to deal with it's yeah. just that's that's an acceptable way they've never been taught waterfall I was going to say if anything we're going to have to teach them to be a little bit more bloody thorough <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and start planning yeah but um, yeah that's the future I've seen it just to change it up we've got, we have got some questions left but I thought we might throw it over and just to do, do it like a pure improvised see if anyone's got a question from the, from the floor that didn't write it down, and perhaps it's sparked a thought. Different, completely different, different, different topic. Over yes. Yeah. We'll pass the microphone down. So again, just tell us what you got. 
Uh, yeah, my question, in fact, one of my interests is uh, Agile outside of IT. We, we talk about Agile, we associate it with Scrum, we yep. associate it with software development, and that's been around for a long, long time. Um, but I am particularly interested in Agile for non-technical functions. Mm -hmm. uh, I see uh, you know, quite a bit of uh, you know, HR, uh, even finance, marketing, uh, and sales. Uh, just wondered if you've got any experience of that um, that you'd like to, that you could share. Um, been working uh, with the NHS and we're not on uh, in a software environment but we're looking at how we could use some of the agile principles within quality improvement mm -hmm. and again any thoughts or experience around that I think it kind of fits in with the question you previously asked okay cool all right yeah you want to go first on this one no no right. <laughs> so, um, yes and 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 I s I, on the way here I said to Paul I need to stop being so honest but I won't. Uh, so we have we have uh, an agile board at home, and no prizes for guessing who the product owner is. <laughs> it's not you, is it? It's not me. <laughs> and uh, it's it's regularly changing, and it's quite a diverse backlog. It's always prioritised. Everything's important, but some things are even more important than others. And our Sprints, I say our sprints, my sprints <coughs> are weekends. Uh, so a bank holiday for you might be great, but a bank holiday for me just means a longer sprint. <laughs> and after 23 years, she's got a pretty good idea of my velocity, how much I can do in a sprint. And so there's nothing to do with software in that. Uh, but she's got a pretty good idea that if she wants the lawn mode and she wants the IKEA cabinet made in the same weekend, then I'm probably not going to fix the dripping tap. She's got an idea of what she can expect. And if she changes her mind, then she knows, she knows what, what the impact, impact of that is. So that's not particularly complex. What I, I would say is that I think we need to hear more, more about it. I, I'd... I'd love to, I know that it's happening in, in pockets, in non-software related, because I get a lot of people that come onto courses, a lot of people that come to me and say, we're doing this, or we need to do this in this particular, in like engineering or aerospace, whatever it might be, but um, we need more case studies is what we need. We need to hear more concrete, yes, we did it here, and this is what we did, and so on, so on. And I think what I would say is I know that the Scrum Alliance not, is, is heavily investing in that as an activity to try and broaden the, their mission about trying to transform the world of work. It's not just trying to expand beyond software. So I think that- I They've even gone beyond the world of work. So there's it, Scrum in schools- Oh yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Is, is a really cool thing. Uh, so one of the keynotes at one of the recent Scrum gatherings was a, a, a class of kids- Yes. Who'd come in and saying how they're using Scrum at school. But if you think about it, when you, when you and I went to school, it was a lot of learning, a lot of learning, a lot of learning. Big exam at the end. How waterfall is that? Mm. Now it's modular, right? You can you can get credits. Like my son had an exam yesterday, and he said, "Yeah, it's only twenty marks, Dad." I said, "Yeah, but it's twenty marks." He said, "Yeah, but it's like ten percent." It's all right, but if that means when you go into your next exam, you've already got ten percent in the bank. So he knows that that's twenty percent. That's twenty, and that's the end of the year, and you get some more at the end of the year. The coursework and different kind of learning and stuff. So that that it's it's a completely different context, but built on the same principles. So you know, I went into uh, the grammar school in Cheltenham a few years ago to talk to the the senior leadership team, as they call them, basically old teachers, um, about <laughs> this idea of preparing students for the modern workplace. So it's not about it's a different kind of leadership. It's not about being in control of the hierarchy and things. And um, Unfortunately, their response at the time was, now our job is not to prepare them for the world, it's to get them into universities. But they are not the only school, and they've changed their senior leadership team since then. And it, you're hearing a lot more about that. So Scrum in schools is a thing. You can Google it, it's pretty cool. And Scrum in, what do they call it? It's not, it's not Scrum in hardware, is it? But it's, hardware is a thing. Yep. Hubert does a lot of it, doesn't he? Yeah, in um, a kind of car manufacturing. Car manufacturing, yeah. which is where Scrum's roots were, car, car manufacturing anyway. Uh, HR, basically anything where you think you can get some value from, from challenging and testing your assumptions early. 
you can get some value from it. And I think more and more the pressure on cycle time in all sorts of industries, in all sorts of businesses. And you know, are we still technically in a recession or not? No. Don't know. No, okay. <laughs> the, um, but, when, but when you are, oh, cash flow is tighter, organizations find it harder to, to spend more money, they need to be more careful with the money they spend, so reducing the risk by running shorter experiments and so on. I can't find it now. I was trying to find the guy's name. I'm going to be rude enough to say that I can't remember it. But um, I had a guy, it's a nice story because it, I said, I t told the guy he should, he should write a blog on it. It was that good. He, um, in, the, in the spirit of using agile principles at home and like Jeff talked about, he recently got married, this guy, and he prepared his wedding speech, his uh, kind of groom speech with a user story map. Okay. So he visualised... The, the path of his speech and uh, so within the, each of the major sections he needed to get through okay so who we would thank and a list of people underneath who we would thank mm -hmm. and you know kind of the bridesmaids the names of the bridesmaids so he had all that visualising I thought it was a lovely way to I, said, I told him he should blog on it okay and did he prioritise the riskiest parts yes. of the speech to yeah. research and prepare first mm. get feedback on it well from his yeah from his best man basically I, think, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool. I thought that was a nice application of it yeah Smoking I think that's, there's a lot in that because you can prepare it technically, but when it comes to presenting it, if you're not, if you haven't, if you can't deploy, you're not done, are you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you need to test your deployment process. You need to make sure you thank everyone. That's all I remember about mine. Good, good question. Good question. Thank you, sir. The observation stuff that you did with uh, your Kanban at home, your, yeah. your, 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 your wife gave me the yeah. idea of how your dusty is. Then, when I've previously used Kanban in the past, then anecdotally at least, the, one of the big benefits was we didn't have any data for it, but we knew organically yeah. how quickly we could do stuff. Yeah. So there was the sense that you know it wasn't just hard and fast technical stuff. It was very sort of humanistic. It, we, as a because it was visualized, because it was it was yeah. it was sensed. It was it was holistically uh, yeah. much easier to know how long things were going to take. Yeah. So it, there was, there was a, an organic thing going on there. Yeah. That's why I didn't use the microphone because it wasn't really actually your previous point. <laughs> but it was cool. kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, used so. to, I used to work in um, like a department store, British home stores, I used to, on a Saturday morning. And funnily enough, every morning before the store opened, we'd all, all get the whole, all the staff would get together for 15 minutes and talk about what needed to be done today. Or, or, and basically that type of thing, which is in essence now when you look at it, back at it, it's the same type of thing. It's a daily stand up. Mm -hmm. I reckon, uh, just to keep a few up our sleeve, we should do a couple more. Okay. Happy for a couple more questions? So should we go from these? Okay. I don't know whose turn it is. There's three left. What are your views on fire breaks? Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> You're happy with that one? Yeah. Versus being that. honest about the team's velocity and only committing to what can be delivered and not adding or overloading the sprint. So for everybody's benefit, could you explain what you mean by a fire break? Uh, yeah, so an empty sprint. So not delivering anything to do with the product. Uh, talked to somebody earlier about it. Is it, I can't remember, about a, a, a fallow sprint. Right, yeah. Is another term for so it. So I prefer the term fallow, because fire break to me... Sounds like an emergency. Well, you, you, you're actually destroying something to stop a fire spreading, aren't you? And yeah. Whereas fallow is, is a year off to allow the soil year off to... Year Glastonbury, basically, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But to allow the soil to recover, isn't it? To get mm. its nutrients back. Yeah, mm. I haven't heard that term, just the fire break. Okay. So, same thing. Yeah, what's your views on it? It just... Mm, it screams to me about... Unsustainable. About unsustainable pace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If it's necessary, then I would say it's a good thing. Surely it's a but symptom of something going right, on. But if, yeah. if the choice is between having a fallow sprint or carrying on the madness, <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have Just a fallow stop. sprint. Stop now. Whatever yeah. it is, stop. Yeah. 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 As so long as you don't then use that as an opportunity to have three mental sprints and then another fallow. I don't think that's a good habit to get into. In my experience of this, uh, not within any of my team, was that they decided to have a, a fallow sprint and actually the team just carried on working on stuff that they hadn't finished. Yeah, that's the tempting way. thing, and isn't it? Yeah. This is why I'm saying work out what your velocity is. You're clearly not having a true break because you're just catching up. Exactly. Everyone's trying to get ahead of the game. Well, to, use, to use the, the, the point that wasn't really a question, I think even though they might not have the data right, they probably do know what their velocity is. Mm -hmm. They just might not feel able to say it. 
at some point, at some level, that team knows what they're capable of. After a number of sprints of failing or delivering or not delivering or whatever, they, they will know. They just might not feel safe enough to say it. Yeah, that's true. Also, I'd, I was going to say, I'd be very surprised if... It's literally, it's literally saying to developers, down tools. Don't, don't do anything. Check, check, check Facebook for two weeks. Is that what it's saying? Well, uh, theoretically, it's be innovative, um, catch up on training, read, better yourself. Um, what, yeah, yeah. Not deliver product. So we had a similar situation at Nokia uh, where development had technically completed and it's what we call, they refer to this as, as a, funnily enough, um, end game. It was called end game. Nothing to do with the Avengers at this point. Um, but there was, it was what was known as end, yeah, end game activities. So development had kind of finished and they would, we were just kind of, it felt like we were told to twiddle our thumbs and wait. Sit and wait for something to happen. Wait for something to go wrong. Wait for something to come back. And, and so... But what we found was very few developers were comfortable with that. So, and very few in the organization, very few managers were comfortable with that. Because the, tempt the tempting thing to do was to, well, just bloody carry on. Get a head start now, you've got some free time, get a head start. So, albeit under the radar, developers were carrying on and developing more things that weren't yet tested or weren't yet ready to be deployed. So, I, th I think, sounds great um i'd i'd be very cautious about whether that's creating potentially more waste unless you can actually physically lock people out of the office and say go away go on, go on a two-week training course whatever that might be but um i think it's potentially a dangerous or risky strategy in my view i'm going to put my positive hat on oh go on makes a change currently and say because of what you've said earlier on this could be an amazing opportunity could be an amazing opportunity to get that those two teams working as one team for us to learn some new engineering practices for us to put some automation in place for us to remove some technical debt it could be a great opportunity that very few teams get and most teams are crying out for yeah and i, I totally agree but for it to be abused as a i've got to catch up on the sprint get ahead i just yeah. think people are not being true mm. to yeah. themselves and Therefore, my opinion is don't have them. Be true to yourself, mm. what your capacity is, and make time for the technical debt and whatever innovative th ideas that you may mm. have. Yeah, that, that in an organisation that's, that's really embracing the principles, that kind of stuff is part of our definition of done. Yeah, we don't just keep the lights on. Mm. Yeah, we make the yeah. lights brighter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anybody else has had experience of these fallow sprints. Anyone else been part of this? A couple yeah. of hands going up. So I, I, every time I've ever seen it, it's always been terrible. There you go. I think that if you say to a group of developers, you deliver every sprint, you know, that's it's, it's potentially shippable release. But after five sprints, you're going to have a break, you're going to have a contingency. Then they know that they can yeah. wait, wait, wait till the end. They can do testing, they can catch up on documentation, they can fix all those books that they, just, they think not so important, we'll leave that to them. That's, that's how I've ever seen it. And I think, I'm pretty sure it's part of safe that they mm -hmm. have a, a, regular, a regular sprint at the end of every, and it's, if it just becomes a regular habit then, people yeah. know they can always leave that. So that was my question. Is, does it come as a surprise or is it scheduled? Yeah, so and it's that it, it made me just made me think of Parkinson's law. If you know you've got six sprints to do five sprints worth of work, yeah. you will just stretch it. You'll stretch it to meet six sprints. I, I, I can see how that might happen. Yeah. We sorted that one. Yeah, put that put that one to bed, haven't we? Yeah, we're awesome. All right, so we'll um, we'll pick another one. I'm gonna do you want this one? From a yeah, you, so you shuffle those from a different from a different. What are those uh, ones? Well, these these are from the same uh, person, so I'm going to go for a different one. Right, product teams. I'll put that up. Product teams, good practice or bad practice? Uh, 
I suppose we need to know what our product team is. Whose question is this? So we're just going to pass you the microphone, my friends. We're having a few. What's issues. your name? Where'd you come from? Uh, Duncan from Cheltenham. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bob of choice. So, uh, so my question is, um, the product owner role is a really challenging role. Yep. Um, so to help the person do that role, should we build another team around them and call them the product team? And they work simultaneously uh, with the development team who are building. Who would be in that product team in your mind? So maybe designers, UX specialists, maybe some business analysts, mm. people to help figure out what to put in the backlog. Why would that be a bad thing? That sounds, that sounds beautiful. Why could it be a bad thing? So then you've got, um, so I guess my question is, is it, do you want to work as two teams or do you want to work as one team? Okay. So the other option is to have those business analysts, UX people, designers as part of one team with the developers and maybe the testers, but not with Leslie. Um, <laughs> and yeah, okay. All right. So in general, one team is good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even in one team, working out who needs to speak to who when is probably a rational thing. Yeah. There's, there's an element of agile teams generally sacrifice efficiency for increased effectiveness. If we wanted to be really efficient, we would work in our own little areas and we'd get really bloody good at it and we'd be you know, knocking our bits out really, really quickly and then handing off to the next bit. But that, that backloads the risk. So we, 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 get, we don't get rid of efficiency, but we sacrifice some efficiency and we sacrifice people being busy all the time. But we can still have a sense of, of one team while knowing what value we bring to the team, in my opinion. I do, I talk about product owner teams. you talk about yeah. product owner teams? I think it also depends a lot on the complexity of the product as well and the amount of work that that I think it also depends on the how much work the team are churning through on a on a two weekly or three weekly basis whatever it might be the amount of overhead in actually preparing work for enough work for a team to, to keep you've got a good agile team all of a sudden we talked about bottlenecks before your product owner can become a bottleneck in terms of they can't prepare work for the team quick enough and I've seen that a couple of times where all of a sudden they didn't realise how lucky they are with having a team that can do a lot more work, but they just haven't got enough team their work to f keep that team going. So I think it's it's like a maturity thing. I think um, even small companies that I work with have generally put found a way to put people around a product owner to help them um, do a better product owner job, whether that's occasionally or virtually on an occasional basis. Um, I think it's a I think it's a, a good thing, generally. For me, the only, the only reason I, I would consider thinking about maybe calling them two teams is to do with the consistency of the, their, their application to the team in terms of the definition of done. So quite often the people in the product owner team will have less consistent contribution to every sprint than members of the, the scrum development team. So their requirement or the, the need for their skills and expertise would not necessarily be every sprint. And so the product owner team, as, as I would potentially call it, is a lot more flexible and fluid in its membership than the, the development team itself, which would be a lot more stable over time. That product owner team may grow or it may change depending on where that product is. So if it's in you know, the early stages of ideation, getting new information or whatever, if we're trying to market it and you know, expand and get new customers and that kind of thing, then we might have different people in there, a greater degree of marketing, for example, the greater degree of operations or whatever. Um, so as a product owner, that, that stability issue is probably the one, the one thing that it's got going for having that difference. If I had a flip chart or a whiteboard here, I'd draw a kind of almost like a Venn diagram if you like. Uh, so you have your Scrum development team, which would contain probably some UX and probably some design because they need to do that every sprint. Those people would also be in the product owner team so they can help craft upcoming stories and, and features and themes and, and sprint goals and so on. So they'd be in both. You'd have some people in the product owner team who probably wouldn't be part of the development team. 
you probably have some people outside of all of those three circles, which are just stakeholders that product owner needs to just you know, ask some questions of now and again, but mm. they're not really going to be part of the team as such. Just to also completely disagree with what I've just said myself, um, I've seen how it's gone badly. To give you the flip side, I've seen a product owner team that has become separated from the product teams because they've become too insular. So it, it was the product that grew quite rapidly and they needed extra help. And they created this idea of a product team that actually now has, has become a little bit too far divorced from the scrum team. And they've started blaming each other for when things aren't going right because they've become too separate. So I think you've got to be careful. You've got to know when the relationship has been stretched or the, the collaboration is starting to fall away because that product team is starting to become a tribe in itself that's drift, drifting off. Does that help? Yeah, good answers. Cool. Okay, next question. Your choice, Jeff. The next question is, what pints am I drinking now? Oh, have you changed pints? Yeah. Well, before you do that question, you need to tell us what your second pint is. I haven't tried it yet. It's called Pioneer. That's softer. Smoother. Yeah, I could probably drink five of those oh, okay. before I'd need to switch. Okay. Hmm. I'm not oh, going to. Three others. <laughs> no, no, that, that's my, that's my sort of... pint. Yeah, something, I could only have one of those. It's nice, but I could only have one. Not because I'd be drunk, but just it would be too sweet or whatever. Jeff and Paul endorse drinking responsibly. Drink responsibly. <laughs> when the fun stops, stop. Okay, next question. Have we moved into the late majority of agile adopters? And if so, what comes next? Okay. I think that's what we just talked about. But whoever wrote that Who question... Wrote that question? It was me, and it, sorry. Yeah. It was me. Uh, it is very similar to the question yeah. that Pete asked. Is there a nuance? Is there a nuance? Um, or do you want to move on? So I was kind of thinking of, you know, the Jeff Moore kind of, you know, crossing the chasm kind yeah. of thing, and he talks about innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, where do you think the whole kind of agile movement is? Uh, yeah, what... Is there something better that's around the corner? Because that's the way our industry tends to work, right? Yep. It tends to work in adoption life cycles, a bit like your pendium, mm -hmm. pendulum yeah. swinging uh, and going the other way. That was that was it. But yeah, very similar to Pete's question. So, I thought, so I'll answer it slightly differently then. So I think there are two adoption curves. I think there's the adoption curve of agile. And I think there's a, the adoption curve of appropriate, effective agile. So I think the adoption curve of Agile, we're definitely in the late majority. I think most, it's rare to meet an organization that, I still get that, mm. but it's rare to see an organization that is thinking, okay, can you tell us what Agile is? It's a case of, right, we've heard about it, we've sort of ignored it for a while, hoping it would go away, but enough of our competitors are doing it now, we probably need to think about it. So that is in the late majority. But so many people have taken it on without thinking about it or without really doing it properly, you know, without, without having a test team, they're not. They're still, there's still a chasm for those people thinking, well, we've got sort of agile. Do we really want to jump the chasm into effective agile? Because that takes a lot, a lot of effort. How's that answer? Do you like that? I'm happy with that. You're happy with it? Are you happy with that? For now, yeah. For now. Okay. <laughs> Let's do another question. Let's try and, try yeah. and change, change it up a bit. Okay. Pick another one. Pick another one. There we go. Right at the end. Do we have a view on running scrum teams using remote third-party people? Not resources, it doesn't say resources. Uh, can it really work? Forget the testing element yeah. of it, um, but remote teams. Definitely, definitely can work. Definitely. How? I've seen it. Yeah, have you got some examples or you've got some tips on communication gadgets techniques well, this is you should probably answer this one because I end up sounding like my dad if I answer this question <laughs> I don't want to sound like my dad no, I want to hear what you sound like when you Do sound you? like your dad now alright you kids don't know you're born <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's, that's good enough I know what you mean now though with the technology you've got available now when, when, we were when, we were, when we were lads when we were at British Telecom a telecoms company yeah. that didn't have a, vi a video conferencing suite available and you couldn't use Yahoo Messenger which no. was the only thing because it didn't get past the firewall you couldn't have a phone call with India without a piercing screech in your ear sort of every 20 yeah. minutes or something mm. uh, so now 
all sorts of technology available all sorts and able to do that um so there's we, we see people we know people that are having their scrum boards are made of lego and it's visually represented through an hd video camera and all locations and things virtual reality and all sorts so yes it's possible what are the common themes in it being successful investment not just money but time in creating that sense of team mm. that sense of responsibility to one another accountability to one another common goal common vision working agreements norms all that kind of stuff uh, that's essential putting a face to a name is important and not letting things go dark for very long so human beings I love them but they are weird um, we have this sort of weird one of the things that we have that's weird is that when we don't see someone for a while we generally start to think of them very negatively I don't really know why it is I think it's a self-preservation thing and it's also a self-confidence, self-doubt thing that we start worrying about what they're doing or t saying about us so we, we stop giving them the benefit of the doubt but if you're looking at somebody and you're speaking to them and you're working on a problem together you generally start picking up more favourable vibes and so you give them the more benefit of the doubt so when something goes wrong you can sort of write it off as a Paul didn't mean it or Paul had a bad day or you know he's a bit of an idiot sometimes but we love him anyway but when it's someone you haven't seen for three months and they're at the end of a, other end of an email and you never really see their face you generally think oh lazy they messed up again they're just oh if only we had someone proper someone who was committed you know yeah, and you don't realise it's happening I don't think I'm the only one that does that no I think there's some of these we've worked on a lot of remote stuff where you don't you don't have the op option to see everyone on a daily basis but I think a lot comes from respect as well if you respect that person not just for what for who they are but what they do and the level of quality that they provide to that team I think that goes a long way I think that can that can carry a lot of that burden is that I you know if, if you I think a lot of that trustworthiness comes from results because if you get something back that you're you know that is really good from and really high standard that mm. you you kind of gain that trust that okay it doesn't matter that I haven't spoken to you for, for 24 hours two days three weeks but I know that it, uh, or you, ever seen your face or yeah. ever seen their face yeah there's people that we've worked with that um, and you I remember well I'll give you a real example I know what you're going to say but yeah go on so your saying? book you yeah. were say. so well you were talking about high quality things so yeah no, that's um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so my my first book I, I had an editor never met my graphics designer never met my reviewers never met them printers never met them printers never met them my, the people who wrote the forward I had met them but not during the book writing process and so we were a virtual team so one was in Norway one was in Colorado one was somewhere else um, and one was in Cornwall and all sorts so none of them had met them none of them met each other but we had that initial chat of do you want to be part of this this is what yeah. this is what I need this is what you know, I'm I'm asking you are you able to do that is this something you want to get involved in what are you prepared for what what do you need from me so that you you can do what you need and how are we going to handle things so we set a cadence of every three weeks we would get in touch with each other if we hadn't heard from each other in an email we would speak to each other every three weeks even if it's just to say I've been too busy I haven't done anything and even then we didn't really use any of the, the technology that like Trello or, or uh, Slack or anything like that it was just you know email and, and Skype so it definitely can be done yeah, agreed. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So I've been working with distributed teams for about six years, and only with distributed teams. I have yet to work in the same room as my scrum team, and that includes Vietnam. Um, and one of the things I've learned is most important above everything else is understanding the um, people's culture. So not just what they're doing, but what their culture is so with with my Vietnamese team I learned that Friday evenings are an incredibly important time for families in Vietnam and I found that out because 
we had we used to have sprint reviews um, on a Friday afternoon in the UK, which was evening time in Vietnam, um, and it just wasn't working for them, and it was really killing their family lives. Um, so it's understanding the culture in which people live, and and having them appreciate that I understood their culture, and that was valuing them as people really helped um, get increase the velocity. So we decided actually we'll do a, something weird with sprint reviews and we'll do something in the morning, something in the afternoon. And it really helped velocity reduce error rates and so forth. But yeah, understanding culture really important. Thank you. No Great, oh. good answer, really good. Yes, sir. How about um, um, agile transformations that, that roll out consistent process across an organization versus um, teams choosing their own way? Okay. The, the kind of the flagship stories that I talk the, talk about, the, the kind of success stories I talk about generally, not in every case, but generally have been the ones where I've seen um, more emergent team-based transformation. And it's almost where, I was trying to describe it the other day, where a team has got hold of this idea of Scrum or Agile, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden that's become known in other areas and eventually from top level management. And it's kind of met halfway. And all of a sudden the organization has got an appreciation for what agility looks like and what it wants it to be. And it's kind of become a, an initiative from within rather than I've seen more um, horror stories from where it's been mandated top down you will do this and this is how you'll do it and all teams must be the same and et cetera, et cetera. I'll deal in absolutes. Go on then. There's no such thing as an agile transformation. <laughs> no such thing. Because transformation implies you're going to go from state A to state B. No company will ever get to state B. They may trans transform towards that, but they'll never reach it. Because by the time they got there, State B will no longer be relevant. It'll be state C or D. So organisations need to be much more flexible. They're going to be in a constant state of flux. And in order to cope with that, they can't standardise processes. But if they don't standardise processes and they increase autonomy to teams, there's potential for chaos and a lot of waste. And very little replicability is that a word? you just made it a word within their organisation so what, we, what we're working with leaders to do is, is, to, is to let go of the desire to standardise processes but instead to standardise values and principles and so if, if you can act with similar values depending on your context the practices will be different but you still have standardisation and autonomy so it's settle, settling on a set of values and principles based on real experiences that people can remember, like stories that people can remember. In this context, this happened. So-and-so did this. This is why they did it. And the moral of the story was literally stories. Um, because that's what an organisational culture is anyway. It's the stories that you tell at the bar about the place you work. Um, and so from a leadership perspective, creating that, that organisational culture of compliance around values and principles but autonomy around processes and practices that's that's where you get that organic continual evolution but in a in a relatively safe and anxiety low anxiety way if that makes sense i think look, looking setting the outcomes they're hoping to achieve and, and letting the teams find the best way to achieve those outcomes in that kind of context but if there is a situation where actually we need it done in a particular way then being clear about that because if, if, if you say you have autonomy but actually it turns out that there was a way that we needed it to happen and you didn't find it what we end up with is motivational debt you get teams that have told they've had autonomy and then get undermined not with malicious intent with good intent but just because actually when we look at it we probably could have worked that out but we took an agile approach just to suck it and see because that was what we thought the right thing to do. So if, you, if, you, if there is something that can be analysed and use your expertise and worked out, then do it, would be my advice. Don't just iterate and let the team try something if there is a right answer. 
However, our human tendency is to believe that there is a right answer more often than there is. So we do tend to overanalyze and overpredict and overplan when actually experimentation would be the better result. So it's a lower risk, but it still is a risk. So if, if you were going to get it wrong, going back to negative jet, <laughs> if you're going to get it wrong, get, get it wrong more on the experimentation side than the analyst side. Analysis. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did that cover your point? Um, indeed, yeah. Okay, cool. Great. Time to wrap it up. Yeah. My glass is empty. Mine isn't, but it will be soon. <laughs> well, can we just say thank you? Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for asking questions. I say this is the best. Best. Agile group in Cheltenham. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, without shadow of a doubt. Definitely the best Agile podcast audience. Yes. So give yourselves a clap. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you to thank you to John and Andy for setting this up. We wish you the best of luck with your future meetups. Every couple of months, you're saying, maybe? Every couple of months, hopefully. Yeah. Yes. So that's the plan. Different pubs? Probably. No, <laughs> the most agile pub crawl in Cheltenham? Yes, maybe. No, but on a serious note, these user groups. From, from being someone that used to organise these. These are definitely what the Agile community needs. So keep, keep doing them as, for, you know, as often as, and as uh, long as you can. So, so good stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you to the pub. What's it called? Bottle of Sauce. Thank you to them for hosting us. Um, and we'll see you again next time. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Ta-da. Hi there. I hope you enjoyed that last episode. Amazingly, we've been going for three years now. And over those three years, we've been blown away by how many people have messaged us to tell us how it's been useful to them and how they've been getting value from it. Some have even said, we'd love to be able to buy you a pint sometime when you're in our area. Well, we're often not in people's area and we often don't know when we're going to be where we're going to be. So that's not been very easy for people to do until now. Over the years, we've also turned down repeatedly offers of sponsorship and product endorsement from companies, basically because we don't really believe that's what you'd want us to do. It's been a labour of love and we do it because we enjoy it, but we also get those messages that tell us that you enjoy it as well. So what we've decided to do is give people the opportunity to virtually buy us a pint. It's completely optional, but what we've done is we've set up a Patreon account where you can, if you want to, donate whatever you want. If you do, then we'll buy a pint in your honour and we'll toast you. Maybe we'll even invest in enhancing the kit so the quality of the pubcasts go up over time. Maybe we'll also buy some advertising to reach more people and hopefully help more people. Like I said, it's completely optional. But if you do enjoy and get value from what we do and would like to buy us a virtual pint to show your appreciation for that, then you now have an opportunity. It's at patreon.com slash theagilepubcast. Cheers. <laughs>